Amen. Amen. While you are turning in your Bible tonight to the second chapter of the book of Titus, I want to talk to you for just a moment about a gentleman by the name of Robert. Robert was not a pastor. He was not a missionary. He was not a Bible scholar or seminary professor. In fact, Robert was just an ordinary worker. Robert dropped out of school when he was 14 years old. And instead of pursuing education, he started to tinker with electricity and mechanics, and he granted himself a bachelor's in motorcycle. Um, he would go on to, to make a pretty decent living as a young man in construction projects, and he kind of had a, an unusual formula for getting ahead in the construction industry. He would underbid a job for much less than the competition, and then he would have this job in front of him that he had to do for cheaper than everybody else, and so he would develop machinery that would help him do that job quicker and cheaper than anybody else could do it. And he was pretty successful in construction until, like a lot of people, he pretty much lost everything in the Great Depression. And he found himself working harder and harder and going deeper and deeper into debt. Until finally one of his lawyers said to him, Robert, you've tried to build all these machines. Why don't you just quit construction and start building equipment? So he did. And the result was that he had over 300 patents to his name. He had advances in machinery that were ahead of his time. And 70%, get this, 70% of the equipment that the U.S. government used, earth-moving equipment in World War II, was invented or belonged to, made by R.J. Laterna. And as you can imagine, dude does that, he's going to make a fortune. And he did make a fortune. But he was also a devoted Christian. And he founded colleges, he gave to the needy all over the world, he did incredible, credible things with the money that he made in business to bless others and advance the gospel. Eventually, he got to the point where he was making so much money that he was tithing 90% of his income. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And don't you wish tonight that work worked that way for all of us? Now, I wonder how many of y'all feel this evening that, that you are in a job where the only benefit to what you do is a paycheck at the end of the week. And maybe you feel like that ain't much of a benefit. Now, maybe you, you come to church and you hear so much about serving the Lord and you hear so much about missions work and you hear so much about selling out to Jesus that you feel guilty or maybe even you feel useless just because you work, you know, a 40-hour-a-week job. Because you, you go to a job site or you go to a factory or you go to an office and you think, you know, God, it, it, it's great that he's using these other people, but here I am on the sidelines. And maybe those kind of frustrations you have have made you a little bit lazy at work. Maybe you feel like what I do, I'm just doing for a paycheck, and there's no real eternal significance to any of it. So why should I give everything that I could? Maybe you've been here today like on a Sunday night, you know, after a good day with people that you really, really like, and you're looking ahead to tomorrow going to work with those other people, and you're just thinking, I don't know if I can bring myself to do it. How much sick time do I have left this year? Well, today we're going to see what God says to Christians who work. What does God say to Christians who work? And it's an important thought, as we're going to see in the Word of God tonight, that the gospel does not just take us to heaven, but it actually changes the way we go to work. And I want to show you that in Titus chapter 2 tonight. So look with me in Titus chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 and 10, and I will ask you to stand with me as we read these scriptures. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The Word of God says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, 
but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You can be seated. And I believe the Lord's going to help you tonight as we look at these verses. Now, as we've studied the book of Titus together, over the past several months on Sunday nights, we've seen that one of the main ideas in this book is that sound doctrine, healthy Bible teaching, the right kind of thinking about God and His work in Jesus, uh, that changes the way that we live. The good news of the gospel makes us people who are committed to good works. And you really see that idea take off when we get into chapter number 3. And the Bible is absolutely clear, is it not, that we are not saved by our good works. Like, were you here this morning? We are not saved by our good works, but we are absolutely saved for good works. God wants us to do good. We should be good for something in this world. And what Paul has done in Titus chapter 2 is he's kind of shown Titus, as the leader of the church of Crete, he's shown him how people's lives will be good, how they will be good for something as they start to orient themselves around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, here's how older men will be good. Here's how older women will be good. Here's how younger men will be good. Here's how younger women will be good and how everybody will be blessed. And it is true that all of us are saved for good works. But it is also true, and we should understand, that the good works we do don't always necessarily look the same. The good works that a senior man may do as he's retired later in life as a grandfather, they're going to be different than the works that a young lady will do as she's raising her small children. The good works look different. And there's necessary good works in one area of life that may not be necessary for another person in a different season. And so what Paul's getting at is that the church is the gospel message made visible. He shows us that in verse number 10, does he not? What I think is one of the most important verses in Titus, as he says, you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. In every area of your life, you show this world what it means for God to save by grace in Jesus. And Paul has shown us, of course, how that looks in every area of the family. Old, young, male or female, here's how it affects everybody. But in the first century home, or in many first century homes, there was another type of person in the home that wasn't necessarily part of the family. And that person was the slave. And that's who Paul's writing to here in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 9. And it's kind of a disconnect for us because this is a church where many of the people were slaves. Where free people worship right alongside slaves every week. Where people were used to. It's hard for us to imagine going to the grocery store and seeing somebody there buying groceries for their family and that person's a slave. It's hard for us to imagine seeing people going about their business every day in life, and that person is literally owned by another person, but that was reality for these people. And what does the Bible say to those who are slaves, to those who are bondservants? That's what this text of Scripture is about. Slavery was incredibly common in the Roman Empire in the first century. Some historians estimate that maybe as many as 50% or more of the population were slaves. That's amazing, isn't it? That, that odds are you would be, if you weren't incredibly wealthy, you would probably be a slave at some point in your life. At the very minimum, you either knew slaves or you owned slaves. Everybody knew slaves. They interacted with slaves every day of their lives. And Paul knows they're part of the church. He knows the gospel is for these people on the bottom rung. And thank God it always is. Thank God grace always goes down to the lowest point. And Paul wants to write to these people who believed in Jesus to say, here's what the gospel, here's how it works in your life. Here's how it works. If you are a slave. And tonight, I know there are no slaves in our society. But I also know some of y'all probably feel like it. 
You feel like I'm underappreciated. I'm underpaid. I go to a job every day where nobody takes notice of what I do. What in the world does any of that have to do with what God is doing in the world in Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to look at today in this text of Scripture. When we come to put all this together and understand that the good news of the gospel empowers us to do good deeds. It empowers us to do good works, which means we should be good workers. We should be diligent in what we do as a job. And we're going to look at that in this text tonight. But before we do, there is a kind of a difficult question that I think we need to, to deal with right out of the gate. And that is a question of why does Paul not condemn slavery as outright sinful? Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't come out and say, you slaves, you need to find you some torches and pitchforks and you need to free yourselves by any means necessary. He doesn't say to the Christian masters here, he doesn't say, you need to liberate your slaves. You need to let them go and let them be free. It's interesting. It's, it's assumed for us in our culture that that would be Paul's first response to the institution of slavery. But it wasn't. Why is that? Why, how should we think about the Bible's perspective on slavery? It's interesting that if you study the parables in particular of Jesus, Jesus told parables that involved slaves as characters, but he never talked directly about slavery. It's just part of life. And why did they not come right out and condemn it in stronger terms? Well, I think there are two reasons, and these are not, honestly, they're not great answers. This is a tough subject to answer, but there are two answers I would give you. The first answer is there are, are really serious cultural differences in the way these people thought about slavery and the way we think about slavery. Now, their slavery was very, very different than the kind of slavery that we experienced in our country uh, decades and generations ago. The kind of slavery we experienced in our country was generational chattel-based slavery that was based upon race. That's not the kind of slavery that they practiced. Most of the time in the first century Roman world, slavery had to do with economics, had to do with debt, had to, people, had to do with people working off what they owed. Now, they were still property. They were, many times, slavery still was very, very cruel, but it was a different kind of dynamic altogether. And if you want to just put a verse in your back pocket, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 10, the apostle Paul there does condemn the kind of slave trading that led to slavery as it existed in America. This is a different kind of animal altogether here. But the second reason Paul doesn't come right out and condemn slavery is because of the priority of the gospel itself. Uh, Paul tells these slaves in verse 10, he says, You should adorn the doctrine of God your Savior in all things. He says, what you should be doing, your primary focus, should be to glorify God in the way that you live and in the way that you work, even as slaves. So Paul says, you're in a position to show the truth of the gospel. So if Paul would have said, you need to arm yourself, you need to get violent, you need to overthrow your masters, and you need to pursue your freedom at all costs. If Paul would have said that, it would have communicated to the world that the message of Christianity is that God saves through human power that God saves through force, and that God saves through violence. That's not the gospel, is it? But Paul writes to them and says, you humbly trust God. You realize that your identity does not come from your social standing. You're not trying to elevate your life beyond your earthly position, but you're working for eternal good out of your understanding of who you are in Jesus. You show kindness, you show love, and that kind of life will produce the top-down, inside-out change that the world really needs. And that's what I think Paul is, is ultimately getting at here. So there are no slaves here at Sharon Heights tonight. There's no word in the Bible for slaves here in our church. But these are people here in the church family of Crete who were thought of as nothing more than tools. They were an appliance that existed to do a job. Isn't that amazing? They can't make their own schedules. They can't do what they want. They have no freedom. And like I said, maybe you think, that sounds just like my work week. <laughs> 
My company treats me like I'm just an appliance there to do a job. I have no freedom. I can't make my own schedule. What is the gospel? What does Jesus have to say to me? Well, let's talk about gospel-formed workers tonight. And first, I would point out to you in this text that as Paul writes to slaves, he elevates their calling. Paul elevates their calling. Imagine what it would be like to be a slave in this church. Tired, overworked, underappreciated, discouraged, not underpaid, but not paid at all. And you come to church one Sunday... And you hear that there is a letter going to be read from Titus in the pulpit from the Apostle Paul himself. And he reads all of these things in Titus chapter 1. And then in Titus chapter 2, he starts to read to the older men and the older women. And you're thinking, well, that's great for them, but what about me? That's great for the old folks. That's great for the men. That's great for the free people. But what about me? It's great that these young moms should love their husbands. It's great that these husbands should support their families and lead well. That must be nice. But here we are. We're just slaves. How could we possibly serve God? What could I possibly do for Jesus? How could I possibly matter? And then Paul uh, writes these words and Titus reads these words and they're taught down through the years at the church of Crete to remind these people who are at the absolute bottom of the barrel in society, you matter. God has something for you. You have a part to play in what God is doing in the world. God wants to use you even though you are a slave for his glory and in his grace. And God is revealing the truth of the gospel through them. It's an amazing thought. They are not just slaves. But they are people that their maker and their savior wants to show himself through to a world that needs him. So if you feel like your job is not important, and you feel like your job is uninspired, and you feel like your job is unimpressive, and you just lay block, or you just work in an office, or you just work in a factory, and you feel like it really does not matter. Understand that God wants to use you right where you are for the sake of the gospel. For most Christians, I know that the jobs we have, they're not the jobs we planned for, right? Especially when we were kids. Could you imagine when you were seven or eight, maybe even in high school, that you would be doing what you do now? I mean, most of us thought we were going to be astronauts and firemen and, and trained dinosaurs, you know? I thought I was going to be a pro wrestler. That was my goal in life. I, I, even had my, I even had my name picked out, Switchblade Sanchez. I was going to wear a mask. It's the whole thing. I had, it, I, had it, I had it ready. But for all of us, life takes a different path, doesn't it? So there are many of us now, and maybe even older than I am, where you've been in your career, or you've been, maybe you feel like you don't even have a career. You've just been working a job to pay the bills, and you're in your 40s or approaching your 50s, and you think it's just not important, and it just does not matter. And then you come to church and we talk about surrendering to God and we talk about answering the call to ministry and we talk about going to mission field and you think, well, that's great for those people, but what about me? What does it matter? I'm just, I'm just punching the clock. Those folks are serving Jesus and I'm just wasting away in this cubicle. Paul's words to you would say, no, you're not. Your work is essential to what God is doing in the world. You are essential to taking the message of Jesus into your office, into your factory, into your cubicle, into your wrestling ring, into your workplace. This is what God wants to do for you. Friend, please know today, I really believe that Baptists over the past few generations, we have really done ourselves a disservice because we have lost the doctrine of vocation. And we tried to push people into ministry, which is fine if God's calling them, and on the mission field, which is great if that's where God wants them. But that's not God's plan for everybody. But God's plan for everybody somewhere along the way is for us to work. And it is for us to do good. And it is for us to love our neighbor through what we do and to give 100% in what we do because whatever we do, our work matters. 
our work matters. If the work of slaves in first century Crete matters, then your work matters. Martin Luther said about this, he said, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So understand from a biblical worldview, the modern idea that work is punishment is a wicked idea. Let me say that again for those under 18 in this place. The idea, y'all, that work is a punishment is a wicked idea. When God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he gave him a job. And he put him there in a perfect world with no sin, with no faults, with no error, because he loved him and he said, you need to work. The Bible tells us that work is good. That work is to be pursued as a good. Paul even writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this commandment. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's plain, ain't it? <laughs> For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. In other words, quit worrying about everybody else's business and go to work. Proverbs 13, 4 says that the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. How about that? The lazy person wants, but they never have anything, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplies. So when we start thinking this way about our work, that our work matters because it shows the goodness of God and, and the grace of God and the way Jesus saves people from their sin, that changes our identity. Because now, these slaves in Crete, they're not just slaves. They're not just throwaway people that don't matter. And we would not be just HR people or just bakers or butchers or barbers or whatever we do. But we are people who have that vocation, and we are commissioned with the gospel in that vocation. So imagine that at work here. All of a sudden, these slaves, after hearing this, they're going back to their homes or their master's homes, really. They're going back to the fields and back to the kitchens and back to the laundry rooms. And they're going back to their lives. And even though certainly we understand God is sovereign over all this, all of a sudden the fate of their master's soul is in their hands. All of a sudden they are the one who has the power because they have the gospel. It changes everything. And it flips it on its head, doesn't it? Because now, all of a sudden, they matter. And it teaches us, I think, that we should not, whether we love our jobs or whether we hate our jobs, uh, we should not define our identity by our jobs. We should define our identity by Christ. And let that identity define the way that we work for the glory of God. Because we can either see our jobs as a burden that keep us from serving the Lord, or we can treat our jobs like an idol and we serve them instead of serving the Lord. When what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to, wants us to see our job as a place to serve him. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 7, again to slaves, he would say, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. In other words, that's not the most important thing in your life right now. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Uh, if you have an opportunity to improve yourself, go for it. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. You see that? He says, you are a slave, yes. 
But if you know Jesus, you've been set free indeed in Christ. And so that slavery is not the final word about you. But then he says this, Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Because you got a good job and you're doing all right. That's not ultimately the truth about you because you are a slave to Jesus, right? You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. Paul says, you may be agonizing about your freedom, but in Jesus you are eternally, spiritually free. So Paul says there should be a missionary impulse in the way that we work. Their master is not just the boss. Their master is their mission field. Those people that you work with tomorrow that you're going to see this week, what's, what's, your first mind, what's, what's the first thing on your mind when you see them? Is it, Lord, here we go again. Is it going to be good gracious? There's Helen from HR, and she's going to make everybody's life miserable. Do we get aggravated about the frustrations we deal with with people? Is our first thought only about our paycheck, or do we see ourselves as literally going to a mission field? Paul latches one of the most common ideas of the New Testament. Evangelism and sharing the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, he latches that onto the idea of going out into the world. I'll make this point because it's critical to understand what God is doing in our church. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As a church, the people we are most likely to reach are not the people that I will preach to every Sunday morning. The people we are most likely to reach are the people that you work with Monday through Friday. That's our mission field as a church. That's who God has put in front of us. You have an audience with people that I'll never have an audience with, ever. You have influence that I'll never have. You have influence that your favorite podcast preacher or TV preacher, you know people they'll never know, and you can speak into their lives in ways they never can. So go and share them. God expects us to do more than just develop kind of a Six Flags Over Jesus environment here and get everybody in the world to come. He is, he, he's already put us in the world. You realize that, right? He's already put us out there. I look around, and I know what you do for a living, and I think, God has already saturated our county with people from Sharon Heights to take the gospel all over. Isn't that incredible? Paul elevates their calling. But secondly tonight, and we'll finish up, Paul equips their calling. Slaves should be missionaries, right? I mean, that's fair enough. Take the gospel with you. Show the doctrine of God our Savior. How do you do that as a slave? How do you do that in your 40-hour-a-week grind? Well, first, Paul says that they are to be submissive to their own masters, in everything. The word submissive uh, is the idea of being arranged under someone. That there's kind of a logical hierarchy. And I like the fact that he says you should be submissive to your own masters. It would be the common misconception of many people in that day that freed men were just more important than slaves. Freed men had more value than slaves. Paul said you do what your master says and that's as far as it needs to go. Because the world does not own you. This one person may own you. But this particular relationship did possess a hierarchical authority. So too, no matter what job you have, you answer to somebody, don't you? Everybody answers to somebody. You have somebody that signs your paycheck. You have somebody that gives you your orders. You ever thought about how God has sovereignly designed your life so that you work for the people you work for? You ever thought about that? That you are around those people God has planned your steps tomorrow so that you will be around the people he wants you around. And God doesn't expect his people, I don't think, when he tells us to be submissive to our masters or 
you know, submissive to our employers. I don't think the Lord expects us to be yes men. I think we, we have a mind and we should be able to speak that mind. But God does expect you to work hard. God does expect you, this is going to be hard for y'all to swallow, maybe. God does expect you to work to make your boss look good. God expects you to do a good job. God expects you to be the best employee there. Paul would write similar language in Colossians chapter 3. When he would have said, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for me. And knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Paul says when you work, you, I like the way the King James translates verse 23, do all things heartily as unto the Lord. You go to work, not for your boss, not for your paycheck, not for uh, the shareholders or whoever. You go to work, and you work your job as if Jesus was right there with you. And you work to please him instead of just working when the boss is around. Y'all ever work with somebody like that? I mean, they work like they're fighting fire when the boss is watching. And when the boss leaves, you can't get them to, you know, do anything. Paul says, don't be like that. As a believer, you work knowing that the true reward doesn't come at the end of the week. The true reward comes in eternity. Paul says the slaves should not be argumentative. If a slave is a Christian, he would find every reason to be argumentative. Think about this with me. On the one hand, there were some Christian slaves who had Christian masters. And it would be easy for them to go in the next day and say, well, bless God, I'm in Christ, you're in Christ, you're not any more important than I am, you can't tell me what to do. Or, you could have Christian slaves that had unbelieving masters. And they could say, listen, I paid attention in Sunday school class yesterday, and I'm going to heaven when I die, and you're going to hell when you die. I belong to the family of God, you don't. And you're not going to tell me what to do anymore. I don't take orders from you. I don't think you understand who you're talking to. I am a child of the king. Paul says, don't argue. Don't argue. I think a Christian who has a good sense of God's calling and their vocation, I think when they have opportunity, they should speak up. They should share their ideas. They should invest in their job when they can. Uh, they should, you know, do what they can to, to be as invested and involved as possible. But at some point for everybody in their job, there are going to be decisions made where nobody cares about your input, right? They're going to do things they don't care what you think. And sometimes you're going to be left to clean up their mess. When that happens, what do you do? Do you run around and tell all the other employees how dumb the boss is? Man, if I, if I was in charge, it wouldn't be that way, I can tell you that. Do we give less than 100%? Do we act like smart alecks behind their back? Paul says, don't be argumentative. Don't think you know best. You may know better than your boss, but God's in charge and you don't know better than him. He says, not pilfering. Again, it would be easy for a slave to be tempted to steal, wouldn't it? You're working for somebody who owns you. Many of them would be mistreated. And you're cleaning in the bedroom one day, and, and the lady of the house has left you know, her pearl necklace laying there on the nightstand, and nobody's watching. It would be easy to feel entitled to take that, wouldn't it? It would be easy to put that in your pocket when nobody's watching. It would be easy to you know, take an extra... Steak out of the refrigerator, whatever they might have done. Sometimes we think at our jobs that, that we're a little bit more entitled. We're entitled to more than we get on our paycheck, right? So I'm not going to preach about stealing office supplies, but many of us who would never dream 
would, would, would be mortified of going to Walmart and taking something off the shelf and walking out. But we'll steal from our employer, won't we? By not working when we're on the clock. Paul says, don't, don't be pilfering. Don't steal from them. But show all good faith. The idea there is really faithfulness. Show all faithfulness. Do your part. Work hard. He's talking about loyalty. Some of you can probably remember a time when employees were loyal to their employers and employers were, were fairly loyal to their employees. That's not necessarily the case anymore, is it? The, the days really of somebody going to work in a mine or in a factory when they're 18 or 19 and staying there until they can retire, that, those days are probably over. They're probably over for a lot of reasons, and there's nothing wrong with a Christian trying to find a new and a better job as they have those opportunities. But wherever we are, when we're there, we ought to work hard, and we ought to do the very, very best that we can. And by doing that, by giving our all, by being gracious, by working hard, we show those people, sometimes they might mistreat us, we show them, hey, we're working for somebody that's more important than you. We're working for somebody who is greater than you, and we're showing our fellow employees and our employers, we're showing them, listen, God really does transform sinners. He changed me. He changed me so much, he actually changed the way I work. Folks, if you believe the gospel, it should come out on you in here. You can raise a hand. You can say amen. You can encourage somebody. You can sit in a discipleship training class. If you believe the gospel, it'll come out on you in here. But if the Bible's true and you really believe the gospel, it'll come out on you at work tomorrow. It'll come out on you in the way you turn a wrench. It'll come out on you in the way you serve, the way you love your neighbor, and the way you bless the world. That's what God has called us to do. He's called us to invest in this world, to be good for the world, and most of us are going to do that in our jobs. I've told you, I told you this morning that, that you spend more time, much more time at work than you do here. Where do you think God's going to use you? He's going to use you while you're there. So don't, don't, don't throw that away by having a bad attitude. Don't throw that away by not treating people well. But take advantage of that by showing people Jesus. I'm sure those people you work with, they'd probably be a little bit more bearable if they said, hey, I'm glad Brother So-and-so is going to be at work today because he reminds me so much of Jesus. Let's stand together today. Our musicians are coming. This is one of those messages where you have an invitation and nobody thinks they need to come, but in, in all honesty, this is probably the one everybody needs to respond to because we all work. Uh, we've all complained about our boss. Been there. We've all been lazy. Been there. We've all failed to do our best. And we've all failed to show Jesus at our job, haven't we? And, and for many of you tonight, this has been a real wake-up call. Because you've been working a job for a long time and you've been getting a paycheck. I hope it's a good paycheck. But truthfully, you're wasting your job. Because you're not using it to show the doctrine of God our Savior. It would be good for you to come tonight and say, Lord, don't let me waste my job. Don't let me waste another day of it. But let me work hard and work well so that Jesus is known and he's seen.